Welcome to your podcast or mine, where the creative minds behind the mic are interviewed. Now, let's get things started. Here's your host, Sherry. Welcome to your podcast or mine. I'm Sherry. On today's episode, I'm speaking with George Heffler, the creative mind behind the podcast, The Best Little Horror House and Silly. Thanks so much for joining me on the show, George. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> I was hoping so hard not to <laughs> to screw up the best little horror house with something yeah, else. <laughs> I took a calculated risk, I think, by uh, by making that the name, especially since it's long as well. So uh, it's it's I appreciate it. you you nailed it. So <laughs> there there could have been so many ways it could have gone. So <laughs> so. Uh, why don't we begin with giving me a description of your podcast? Sure. So the idea behind the best little horror house in Philly is uh, that we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least. Uh, part of why I love horror is that it's uh, such a personal genre. I mean, people are scared by different things, so no person is going to react to a horror movie the same way. And so I love finding out what movie people think is the best example of the genre and why. And so just this was a conversation that I was ordinarily having with my friends, and it, it really gives you such a such an appreciation for the genre that it has such variety that I just felt like I had to share it with people. What compelled you to start podcasting? Well, so I have been a longtime podcast fan. I have been listening to Earwolf shows like Comedy Bang Bang and Hollywood Handbook and Teacher's Lounge for probably going on a decade now for for Comedy Bang Bang at the very least. So I was very familiar with the medium of podcasting, but I, I was like, I don't know that I have something unique enough to say that merits kind of entering a pretty crowded medium, especially in, in today's day. But when I started talking to people about this specific thing, you know, I found that when I was looking for reviews about some of the the movies that have come up, people kind of approach it from a very objective, um, this is what's good for sure about it kind of way. And so I felt like there was kind of a gap where people were talking about it from a more emotional standpoint, where people were talking about um, what sticks out to them as good about this movie. And so that was kind of something that I thought was not being served by the podcast community. And so I wanted to jump in and fill that gap. Well, it's a great concept, and I've loved listening to a couple of your episodes. I was mentioning before we started that I listened to the ones about Gremlins and Scream, and they both have a little bit of humor fused in it, but the Gremlins is an 80s classic, and so it's near and dear to my heart. And Scream was just different in the respect of how it was made and the elements that were used in that. It was done very smart, too. Yeah, it's really great. And it's funny because a lot of people, like the way that you said that you're like an 80s horror person, that's something that I love as well. Uh, Friday the 13th is one of my favorite franchises in horror. But I'll talk to people who are like, hey, my favorite is paranormal stuff, so I want to talk about hereditary and, and really kind of getting to dig down into what tropes and stuff they like, like what about 80s horror is it that makes you like it and stuff. 
that's that's kind of what the podcast is hoping to explore at the very least. And one thing that's also really interesting is some of the picks that people have are movies that maybe there's a little bit of gray area about whether it is in fact a horror movie. I know a lot of people say that Gremlins, they're like, oh, it's a Christmas movie. It's not a horror movie. You know, I think that there's room, especially in the horror genre, for it to be both. And so we kind of talk about that a lot. You know, we've done movies like Green Room as well, which is very grounded in that, you know, like horror villain is neo-Nazis. And so, you know, people are like, oh, well, it's not a horror movie because there's no big hulking one bad guy or a demon possessing people. And, you know, I say that it is a horror movie. It's, it's a horrific situation that people are trapped in in the movie. And we've talked about it on the show a couple of times, but I think that it's a really interesting aspect of horror that comes up a lot that is a conversation that people have all over the place. Well, you mentioned that people have different perspectives of what scares them and what they classify as horror because for some people it could be, you know, just simply like a a thriller like Vertigo, for example, or it could be something like Suspiria. And and that's the beauty of it, especially because, you know, in with modern horror, it's really there's been a pretty dramatic shift over the last decade or so. I remember growing up that there was a lot of kind of the Blumhouse style of horror where people were very into like the viscera and the gore of it, you know, hostile and saw immediately jumped to mind. And in fact, when I was initially trying to get into horror, one of the first movies that really scared me off of the genre at first uh, was Saw 2, just because I'm really terrified of needles. And for anyone who's seen that movie, there is a pit of needles that someone gets thrown into. I literally had to walk out of the theater. Um, and, <laughs> and for us to go from that sort of thing into what I would consider the new wave of horror is in these kind of tension-filled ones where it's things like The Witch and uh, Get Out and, and Us and, and the Astro movies like Hereditary and Midsummer. It's such a dramatic shift in terms of pacing and the content of the movie itself as well. I think kind of exploring this generation's reaction to the change in horror and the change in the way that horror is presented to us is something that's been really interesting to find out. Well, you talked about Saw, and Saw is probably one of my favorite franchises, along with... Uh, yeah, yeah, I I love the storyline, giving people things that challenge them and cause them to make decisions based upon their own internal conflicts. So that <laughs> that's one movie franchise that I really enjoy. But, I mean, that's not to say that I don't like other types of horror movies. I'm a horror movie junkie, and I've seen everything from, you know, The Exorcist, which really freaks me out when I was a, a young kid, and I love everything that's Alfred Hitchcock and uh, mm-hmm. A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is you know, that one really particularly scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and I used to live in the Poconos, so movies like the uh, Blair Witch Project scared 
the devil out of me because I lived in the woods and cabin in the woods, things like that. If there were woods involved and I was watching it, <laughs> I'd be like a little on edge for a while. But <laughs> I think that that's kind of the beauty of the genre. I, I think that there's more variety in horror than there is in any other genre by a long shot. And, and that kind of doing something is part of what makes the horror community so great is that exposure to, to such a wide variety. I have, so in my maturity, I have gone back and watched the Saw movies, and I like them as well. But yeah, it was definitely, I was too young for it at the time. <laughs> so how do you record and edit your show? You have guests, so obviously they probably can't be there live with you all the time. Is there a process for that? Yeah, well, so it does actually vary based on uh, where people are. Scent is such a regionally focused, like just Philly is in the name, so a lot of people in Philadelphia, that's kind of how they find it. And when I have people who are in Philadelphia, I try and have them like over uh, to record in, in person as often as possible. But that doesn't always happen. I have guests from all over the, the country and actually one from Canada. So multiple countries, and when that's uh, the case, we mostly just use Skype, honestly, which is finicky, so I am kind of looking for something better. And then I edit it myself. I try to not edit out any of the actual content. I just clean it up uh, for thumbs and likes, that sort of thing, just because I think that kind of coming at it from this emotional perspective, I don't want to cut anything out that somebody uh, might be saying how they feel about the movie. You know, where, where is it my position to kind of judge what is or isn't uh, something that should be censored about their reaction to it. So I try not to cut any of the actual content out, but um, I do edit it myself and it still winds up taking much longer than I'd like it to. <laughs> when did you first start the podcast and how often do you release the episodes for it? So I started the podcast in September is when the first episode came out, just as kind of like a bonus. But it started dropping regularly at the beginning of October, and we've been releasing weekly since then. We maintain a consistent schedule. Do you have anything in store for the podcast for 2020? Do you have any specific goals or ideas for where you would like to take it or what movies you would like to cover? Yeah, well, so we have a couple of really exciting things coming up, um, both in terms of covering some of the classics that a lot of people are looking for when they're talking about the best horror movie ever made. So we have Alien coming up is a really big one. But we also have a chance to kind of explore and re-examine some movies that maybe weren't given their fair credit when they were initially released. Jennifer's Body, which was really um, critically panned when it first came out, but a lot of the issue with it was that it was really, really mismarketed. It was supposed like it was marketed like it was a sex romp uh, kind of horror movie, and that's really not what that movie is about at all. So one of my friends who is a really good horror movie, I actually recommended that I watch it for the first time. Kind of break down kind of not only why the movie is much better than people give it credit for, but why it is deserving of this kind of reanalysis and why that's happening in this uh, kind of day and age, which is, you know, there's a lot of kind of accepted misogyny in the way that marketing and stuff is handled, and everything was just kind of marketed for a white man, and that's who we're selling to. And 
that's not who a movie like Jennifer's Body is necessarily for. And so kind of discussing the situation that led to it kind of being critically panned in that way is something I'm very looking for when people get into the world. Well, do you find that horror movies in general critically panned or not given the attention that they deserve because they're uh, pigeonholed in that genre? Oh, absolutely, I do. Um, I think that this is really visible even recently with uh, all the debate about whether a movie like Get Out is even a horror movie. A lot of people were saying that, oh, it's just a thriller or it's not a horror because there's no like big monster. And that exactly the point where Jordan Peele literally had to tweet out the entire tweet was just Get Out is a horror movie. <laughs> that is the entirety of the tweet, just so that it couldn't be twisted or misinterpreted. And I think that people who are looking at horror from a outside perspective, when they find a movie that they like that is a horror movie, they're reluctant to kind of admit it just because a lot of people have a, a negative view of horror. And it's the unfortunate truth. And so they, they'll call it things like thriller. And I mean, uh, to me, a thriller is just a horror movie like. I mean, it's just a way for people to talk about a horror movie without admitting that it's a horror movie. And, and so to me, it's kind of insulting to the genre because I love it so much, but I also understand where people are coming from. It, it's just their exposure to some of the more mainstream stuff doesn't necessarily succeed for them. So when something comes along and is well-made and it has the polish of something like a lot of these new movies, like uh, The Witch or Get Out, you know, they, they kind of react in a way that they're telling themselves it's not a horror movie. <laughs> it's just so that they can uh, they kind of make it acceptable for them to like it. Exactly. And another thing, I believe that the reason for the popularity of horror movies or what they classify as thriller movies is that People love it so much because it's escapism from reality because probably about 90% of the, the horror movies that are out there has a protagonist that will wind up winning the battle against the bad guy. When in real life, the bad guy is pretty much the main character and causes turmoil for <laughs> whoever is affected for <laughs> the rest of their life. So I think it, it allows escapism and a place for people to go to feel like that there's hope. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it's a little controversial as a trope just because, again, it is kind of a remnant of a bygone era, but there's the final girl trope which is really ingrained, especially in the slasher movies. And it feels like a David and Goliath kind of thing. I was reading uh, a, a book about um, kind of a, a critical perspective of horror as a genre that is as close to like fables as still exists. Like it's these kind of morality tales and stuff like David and Goliath where it kind of harkens back to a much older, much visceral kind of storytelling than I think a, a lot of the other genres do. And these kind of tropes in it that we've grown so used to are a big part of that. And John Carpenter said that people go to sequels to see the same movie. And I think that a big part of that usage of tropes is, in fact, that is, is true a lot of the time, is that people want to try to 
familiarity and the comfort of the security blanket. You get to watch a, a spooky movie that you know you're going to like and get to chow down on some popcorn. And it's just a good time. It is that escapism. And a lot of that has to do with kind of the, the familiar instances of horror. And horror isn't something that's dumbed down either. They take a lot of political and social issues and just change the characters or the content a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think that the way that horror handles kind of speaking to societal issues is remarkable because you can kind of dress it up in this disguise of a monster or something you can really address it in a way that kind of sneaks into someone's subconscious. I think of movies like The Stepford Wives. I think of movies like um, It's Alive, confronting kind of pure parenting. It's, all these movies have something to say, um, and they, they kind of gussy it up in the guise of, of something that will allow them to get an audience, but really it's, it's a way of them expressing kind of uh, a thought about where their society is at. I mean, even still with us, uh, it's a movie that has a lot of different interpretations, but the fact that people are discussing it and interpreting it in different ways is something that I think is unique to horror. Um, you know, definitely there are like, there's themes and stuff in, in other movies, but the way that horror can act as a more direct metaphor for something is, uh, I think, not found in other genres. So, uh... How has podcasting changed your life for the positive? Changed my life for the positive just because um, the horror community is really uh, tight knit, and uh, this has really given me a chance to kind of dive into that in a more direct way and engage with people in a in a more direct way. And it, it's also just made me have some great conversations with some of my closest friends. One of my uh, best buddies, Jerry Martin, he did our It Follows episode, and this is a movie that we had talked about briefly, but uh, I mean, to sit there and really talk about what makes a movie good to someone, you learn a lot about them, and and so getting to sit with one of my best friends for an hour and talk to them about why they like something is it's really just a nice experience and a way to kind of sharpen your active listening skills that you can carry into everyday life. Very true. So what would you find to be the most challenging part about it, though? Uh, I would say that the most challenging part is probably not burning yourself out at the beginning. When I first started, I like was like, oh, I have to bank a ton of episodes, and I'm doing all the editing and everything, and, and I'm taking dozens of pages of notes on these movies, and it, it got to a point where I was like, I need to slow myself down because if I don't, then I'm going to not enjoy doing the show. And if I'm not having fun, no one else is going to have fun either. And so making sure that I'm taking the time to still enjoy myself is probably the biggest challenge. Also, and just setting aside time for editing because it does take a long time. I think when you first start a podcast, you really don't know how much work it is. Um, until you're fully immersed in it, because there are so many aspects to it. It's not just the recording. There's the editing, there's the promotion, booking the guests, and also the research. When you put all those factors together, it could be really daunting. So, yeah, it's a learning curve. (laughs) You have to learn when to step away from 
your computer so that you can enjoy what you're doing too. Right, definitely. Um, and I think that part of that is once you reach a point where people are starting to give you some feedback, that can be a really positive boost in terms of making sure that you are still enjoying it and, and taking the time out to do that. Because like you said there, I mean, it is a ton of different stuff. The, I mean, the promotion alone, there's a reason that people pay people to do that. It's a lot of work. And, and so I definitely agree that it's something that people need to do. But once you get that kind of feedback, that kind of positive reaction can definitely help give you a boost, I found at least. Oh, a positive review definitely uh, feeds the fire <laughs> and yeah. makes you want to do it even more. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> So in retrospect, what do you wish you had known when you started out? Is it just what you had mentioned on scaling things back and just taking time for yourself, or is there anything else? There are probably a couple other things that I would say to myself if I were talking to me back then. Just in terms of with like, oh, well, I'll get like kind of a bad mic just to test a little bit, and like I'll use that as the beginning. I wish that I had sprung for a little bit nicer just because – the first episode is the one that so many people listen to. And so kind of like going back and listening to it and being like, oh, like I didn't know what I was doing with the mic and it's it's a worse mic than I have now. It, it can get a little frustrating that that's kind of the first example. And you kind of just have to hope that people will like the concept enough to move past it. But I also probably would say that um, just like a general outline is very helpful <laughs> because the first episode we talk about Phantasm, which is a great movie and I like it a lot. But it's a very kind of uh, loosey-goosey conversation, and we've kind of gotten into a little bit more of a rhythm now where we kind of have not necessarily like segments as much, but they're like, oh, we talk about their history with horror, and then we talk about the movie, kind of its place in horror history, and then we kind of go through the plot, and we'll talk about things that jump out at us and things that we like about it as we're moving through, and that's not really the format of the first episode. So kind of having an idea of where you want to go, I think was probably pretty helpful at the beginning. Uh, George, I think everyone says their first episode is, <laughs> they're probably their worst. So everyone says, uh, skip the first episode <laughs> and and maybe jump in at like the seventh and then go from there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think everyone that I've spoken to, <laughs> And I've spoken to like maybe about 70 people so far since I started, and <laughs> that seems to be the consensus, including myself. Oh, my gosh, yeah. the disaster. I mean, it turned out to be a great show, but there were so many glitches in the beginning. I was in full panic mode. Oh, gosh, that's funny. So uh, what advice would you give to someone who wants to podcast? Um, I would say that sit with the idea a little bit to make sure that it's something that you really want to do. When I was initially thinking about doing a podcast, I was initially going to go kind of the other way, and I was going to talk about all the bad horror movies that are out there. But as I thought about it, I was like, first of all, do I really want to put myself through watching all these bad movies all the time? At least this way, I get like to watch movies that people think are great, and so I'm constantly finding new movies that I hadn't seen that people are recommending through this. So that's definitely a, a perk. But also, if I was doing the negative one, like that kind of negativity really can wear on you. You know, it's 
this is something that I get to be really positive about. When we're recording, I'm fully in kayfabe, as they call it in wrestling, where I also uh, agree that it's the best horror movie ever made. And we're really just talking about what makes it great, and we're having fun, and we're talking about something that we like. And I think that that kind of positivity is not something that's necessarily found often on the Internet. And so I like to contribute to that that perspective of it instead of the negativity side. So thinking about your idea to make sure that it's something that you not only want to continue doing for yourself, but that you want to put out, I think is, is pretty important. You mentioned the horror community being very supportive. Uh, are there any other resources that have helped you along the way? Yeah, I think that um, just being part of other groups of people who like podcasts. So I mentioned that I have been a big fan of like the Earwolf podcast for a long time. And so I'm part of a community of people who are in the chat room kind of thing about that network. And it started off that way. We're all just like buds who, who hang out and stuff. And having this kind of community of people who are familiar with the platform of podcasting and they have their own networks of people that they can help disseminate. It has really been a great boon. And I think that kind of inserting yourself, if you're not already in something like that, that finding something that you like and finding a community around it, especially if it's related to podcasting can really be helpful. So what are your favorite horror movies that you mentioned saw as being one of them, but are there any that top them? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because I'm sure, as any horror fan will tell you, and I'm sure you feel the same way, catch me on a different day and I'll give you a different answer for this question. But I would say the three that probably come up the most for me are The Witch by Robert Eggers, which came out just a couple years ago. I really love that movie. I actually have a tattoo of Black Phillip with the words Live Deliciously on me. I also love Friday the 13th Part 2, which is a very specific and weird choice, but it's the truth. And also, I really love Day of the Dead, which is the third in the original Romero trilogy. And I think it gets overlooked a lot because, I mean, don't get me wrong, the first two are incredible. But, you know, this is kind of the one that gets overlooked a little bit. And I think that it has a lot to say, and it's a great movie with great performances as well. So those are the movies that I kind of like to shout out as ones that don't necessarily get watched as much. So I love talking about them, and, and you know, I, I would probably say that they're some of my favorites. What are your thoughts on people remaking horror movies, uh, for example, Rob Zombie? Oh, boy, you know, he's one in particular that I don't care for his remakes, uh, if I'm being completely honest. I think that... A lot of times when they do the remake, they've thought, they've already thought to themselves, we're doing this because it's something that people know, and we're doing this for monetary reasons. And I think that a lot of the times that people connected with the movie in the first place is because there was so much passion put into them. So, so often the ones that get chosen are ones where I'm like, this is not something that needs to be remade. They should be remaking things that maybe had a, a good idea but didn't execute in the best possible way. So movies like Rob Zombie's Halloween, uh, part of what makes Michael Myers scary to me is that he comes out of nowhere and he's just evil. And so while it's true that it sucks for Michael Myers in the remake that he had a, a bad childhood and he was bullied and stuff, to me, understanding where Michael Myers comes from does not make it a better movie to me. It's less scary 
knowing where he comes from and having that trauma behind him than it is if he's just a, a mindless killer. And so, to me, when someone kind of misses something so integral to the movie, to me, it's a bad remake. Uh, I, I think that there are pretty good remakes out there. I honestly think a Friday the 13th remake is pretty okay. I mean, it's not great, but for these remakes, it's pretty good. But I think that's probably the best way to handle it is I would look at the Child's Play and Chucky franchise where they kind of rebooted the franchise, but they kept a similar um, voice. They actually used the original writer and they kept Brad Dorif as Chucky. And even though these movies kind of restarted the entire thing and they went, they went direct to video, like they were VOD right away. They're still great. And they still have the kind of feel of the original that it's trying to redo. So kind of using it as more of a, a launching point is something that I, I think that horror movies should be doing uh, more often. But uh, as a counterpoint, I am looking forward to the Candyman remake. So it's not like uh, I think it is impossible to do. It's just been mishandled a lot of the time. Right. Like, I felt the same way about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake of that. I wasn't too thrilled because the same thing, I really liked him coming out of nowhere. (laughs) On the other hand, Rob Zombie's original films are completely messed up, but... (laughs) I respect him because nobody else could make those movies. Those are Rob Zombie movies through and through. And even though I think that they're pretty fun, I, I would say that they're probably not exactly to my taste. I don't know how often I would go back and rewatch them, but I at least respect them a lot more than I kind of respect the way he handled the Halloween franchise. So definitely I think that when you have someone who has a unique voice, to kind of ask them to replicate something else is doing both of you a disservice. I, I don't, I'm sure that Rob Zombie is a delightful guy, and I don't mean to insult him by saying that I really hate that those uh, Halloween movies are as bad as they are, in my opinion. I know there are people who like them. But, you know, I, I just think that it's a dramatic misuse of his talents and the resources of the studio. Now, you were mentioning uh, in the Gremlins episode regarding Corey Feldman and how he's overlooked <laughs> as an actor in the horror film genre. But in actuality, he's in quite a few independent horror movies. Yeah, it's something that definitely stuck out to me as I was watching, because he's in a lot of indie stuff, but he's in a lot of big-name horror stuff, too. He's in Lost Boys. He's all over the place, and he puts in a great performance in every single one of those, and he acts his heart out, and I just got to say, I respect the hell out of you, Corey. <laughs> So do you have any favorite actors in the genre that you really like? Oh, boy. Uh, That's a tough question. I really um, love Anya Taylor-Joy, who is in The Witch. She was also in M. Night Shyamalan's Glass and Split. I think that she's really great. I think that she has a really awesome career ahead of her. I think that Florence Pugh is also someone to watch. She was in... Midsummer, which was really great, but she also, not a horror movie, was in Little Women, which I absolutely adored. I thought that the, the Greta Gerwig Little Women was just spectacular, and I loved it, and she was great in it. So I think Florence Pugh also is someone to keep an eye on. So how can people find your podcast and listen to it? I'm uh, probably 
going to preface this by saying you're probably on all of the major podcast platforms, but how can they connect with you on social media or uh, give suggestions or feedback or recommendations for a horror movie to cover? Great. Yeah. Uh, so people can definitely reach out on Twitter. We're at little horror PHL. But one thing that's um, kind of unique to movie fans is that I'm also on Letterboxd, which is a social media platform that, kind of, well, it's more of like a movie tracker. And so you can follow people on there and kind of uh, see what they're watching. You can keep your own watch list and you can leave reviews and stuff on there. I'm on there at George Hess. And you can kind of follow along and see what I'm watching for the show. You can see kind of a little bit behind the curtain in terms of I give my actual opinion on the movies on there. So when it, when there are movies that maybe uh, someone picks as their best ever, you know, I go along with it for the show. But on Letterboxd, I'll kind of give my actual insights into what I think about it. So I definitely encourage people to check it out on there. And if you want to just reach out to me personally, I am Gerd Hef on Twitter. And like you said, yeah, I'm on all the major podcasting platforms, but if you want an easy way to get to us, I just type in tinyurl.com forward slash PHL horror, and that'll take you right to our page. That'll make it nice and easy. Um, We're also on Spotify and and all that jazz. so. (laughs) So do you have anything to add or promote? with the show or yourself personally before we get going? Just that I hope people give the show a listen because uh, I do think that it's something that isn't really found that often in terms of reviews and people kind of claim objectivity is king. And I think that part of what makes movies so fun is that it is such a personal and uh, emotional experience. So I, I just really encourage people to check it out and, you know, you don't. I, I love the first episode, and the guest is is great. But if you if a movie jumps out at you that you love that movie as well, jump in with that episode instead. It's very personal, and uh, I hope everyone enjoys. Well, thank you so much, George, for joining me on your podcast of mine to talk about the Beth Little Horror House in Philly. I love the show, and I look forward to upcoming episodes. Oh, thank you so much, and and I'm a fan of yours as well, so I was excited that you allowed me to come on as well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, thank you, and to everyone listening to your podcast or mine, we'll chat soon. Bite-sized Biographies is the podcast of life stories, where people from all backgrounds tell their story in their own words. I'm Corey Thorpe, host and creator of Bite Size Biographies. Join me as I converse with people about their lives by visiting bitesizebiographies.com or search Bite Size Biographies where you listen to podcasts.